Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linhan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host, and I'm a national staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. Steph Young and I are back six days after the last episode as we processed our feelings about the Olympic roster because the roster is in. We have a free-to-read breakdown plus a story with our initial reactions all up at The Athletic, and we are now back on the podcast after we've been able to hear directly from the man who made this roster himself, U.S. Women's National Team Head Coach Vlatko Andonovsky. Now, before we get started, your quick reminder from me that if you would like to support this podcast and our coverage of women's soccer at The Athletic, you can always sign up for your new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. There's always a promo there. All right, we're just going to get right to it today. Again, I'm joined by fellow full-time women's soccer writer here at The Athletic, Steph Young. All right, so we've we've done our news story. We've done our kind of instant reaction. We've now been able to to see the discussion, the discourse. We've we've seen some of the reaction. Um, where are we at now? That is, we're recording this at twelve forty eight p.m. on roster release day. Where are you at, Steph? I had to wake up and watch Good Morning America <laughs> first thing while my body was still processing my iced coffee. And I don't know if you've watched Good Morning America, but it is um, not what I would use to become engaged and alert. <laughs> yeah, that's after fair. After I woke up after, you know, not great sleep. So the day can only go up from there. Like emotionally, the thing with the roster is you mentioned, you know, we've been living with this kind of looming over us for so long, but there's no catharsis here (laughs) because there's no emotional release because it's like, yeah, it is what it is. It is what we thought it would be. Yeah. It's like going to a play where like they tell you from the beginning like Pert Happily is narrating <laughs> exactly what is happening. This is a play about a man who is going to name a roster. That roster is going to include several players. Yeah. And then that's exactly and you're okay, where it just feels like there's no emotional payoff because I don't there's no surprises. I don't know. I don't really know what it is, but there's like there's no denouement. Yeah. I mean, and I think also, again, one of the things that we've been saying for a really long time is that maybe there's no wrong answer for this roster, that there is maybe a more correct one, but we're also not going to know the answer to that until we actually get into these Olympic Games and we either see, you know, the U.S. Women's National Team cruise through the group stage or, or, you know, start to struggle or, again, have these same finishing problems. But this team has always been looking like what this team is going to be right like I think there's a lot of discussion about the age of this roster right at the moment but I think that's also just been a natural fact of the U.S. Women's National Team for a very long time this is not a a 2021 (laughs) discovery for the U.S. Women's National Team that this team is going to be older than a lot of other teams in the tournament but also the structure of this team has always been wildly different on that. You know, it's not like the U.S. men's national team, right, where they're putting out the youngest rosters they've been putting out as a national team. These two national teams are in very different spaces and very different approaches. And Vlako Endonovsky on his call today basically said, like, I don't think about age. I, I look at if they're performing or not. 
Right. Different development channels, different youth to pro pipelines, different mindsets. Honestly, you know, Don Scott also left behind a legacy of absolutely wild, (laughs) you know, fitness. So I don't think it's a surprise players are still performing at 29, 30, 31 when there's like this culture of not just fitness, but health and recovery within the team. Mm -hmm. Yes. I also think that so much of the fundamental angst about this roster, right? That we're waiting for this next generation to come up. This to me feels like the last time the band is getting together, right? Like, I think that is fully the expectation. I think that we know for 2023, so much, so many of these players are not going to be in the mix, Right. And I think that that is pretty fair to assume that as soon as this tournament ends, like we're getting a blank slate, essentially, with this team. And that has always been kind of the traditional approach of the cycle. But I think it goes really double here where you got kind of this weird pause. Again, pandemic played a role, but also allowed players to stay in the mix longer. So this has always been the tension. Today's today's discussion has been the same discussion we've been having the exact same time. And I think that there's a way to say, yes, it's the philosophy of U.S. soccer is right or wrong in terms of what do you prioritize right now. I think you can fundamentally disagree with that. But I also don't think that today is any sort of surprise. I think I just want to advocate here for anybody who's listening who's agitated like we are. Like, maybe we could follow in Kristen Stepp's Kristen Press's footsteps here and looking to kind of like Zen Buddhism and letting go of desire here because everything, the core of all of my suffering and the angst that you've mentioned has been rooted in like trying to reach out beyond the present and not being rooted in the now. I know that sounds like woo-woo nonsense. <laughs> it sounds like you are in an episode of life. <laughs> right. But like... Honestly, centering yourself now and accepting the situation for what it is is probably going to be what's most emotionally healthy for all of us. <laughs> That's fair. I just also think the way that there has been also this kind of side discussion today of does NWSL form actually count, right? And I think that there are players it, it worked for and players that it didn't. But I also think that Vlako Andonovsky said some interesting things in his press conference that also might impact how we are looking purely at NWSL form of does this count, right? Because also it's not the only thing that counts. NWSL form is not like the number one factor in creating an Olympic roster. I think that's really important to remember. But Vlako Andonovsky, you had a question that said basically like you seem to be really ranking players' understanding of the U.S. national team system as part of this decision process. And he said, yes, but also this might be why some players look ordinary in NWSL because they're playing multiple systems. I thought that was a very interesting. That was like the spiciest thing that he said the whole conference, maybe unintentionally. But the quote is, it's not often, but it happens. You'll see some of the players that are on the national team sometimes are very ordinary players in the league because they're just used to different systems. And I was like, that's real. And sometimes something is mean because it's real. (laughs) 
but like like that's that's fair you that's a typical tension that happens for a lot of players between club and national team where you have one need in club and you have another need in national team you have like it's different coaches different mindsets different players around you he's right yeah and some players obviously respond to that i mean the fact that crystal dunn has played you know the way that she has right in terms of both systems positional coach like i mean people need to understand crystal dunn truly is a soccer genius yeah though the way we see the game and the way she sees the game crystal's like r.i.p to you but i'm different you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i think what you like you're kind of a, amalgamating a lot of stuff here where you're talking about like you know he said christie's an nwsl product and then people are going to be like, well, then what about Casey Kruger and Lynn Williams? And then he also mentioned a lot of these other factors, uh, which wasn't just fitness and performance, but he talked about um, experience and durability. Yeah. As well as versatility. Durability, I thought, was one of his key words. And something that actually is going to cascade into other questions people should be asking, not about NWSL experience, but about injured players. That to me is... Like, if Christy Mewis is, as I, as I said in our article earlier today, like, kind of the number one story for me, like, the number one question about this roster is we got a little bit more detail in terms of, like, where Julie Ertz is back in terms of recovery. Right. And that was the first question from Stephen Goff and the first answer from Vlaco, which was, like, well, Tobin's a little further along. Julie, Julie, they do not think will play any if, if if any minutes in in the send-off series they're looking for her to feature more in closed door games that they're expecting to play in Japan but I think that's also probably going to be the case for Tobin too is that like the closed door games in Japan is where the two of them are going to get their legs back under them and that feels really interesting to me I think part of it is they looked at the group stage and they said, sorry to Australia and New Zealand, but we can afford to rotate mm -hmm. and wait. And Julie and Tobin can get some good minutes against teams that may not necessarily put us into panic mode. Um, and then they can, they can truly start getting 60 minutes, 70 minutes in the important knockout rounds. Right. And I still think, you know, as we said, like, I don't think Tobin is going to be in a spot where she necessarily needs to be at 70 minutes fitness, right? I think Ertz, yes. <laughs> but also, I, I think Ertz, in terms of fitness, like, again, I, I just the way she's built, like, I, I think I'm maybe a little less concerned about that just because Tobin has had such a long layoff. But I think Tobin, to me, feels much more like that kind of massive game changer that you can potentially bring in to the tail end of a game right they can they can kind of function in that six area without julie Ertz, um but they've been really struggling in the front six and i think vlatko is looking at that and being like what's the difference between then and now mm, it might be tobin mm. yeah i mean the injury part of it you know there's there's been kind of a lot of these are a lot of the same players that were at the 2016 Olympics, these are a lot of players that were also at the 2019 World Cup, right? Obviously, Christy Muse is the only player who is not on the World Cup winning roster. But yes, <laughs> it's hard for me to, to mentally connect this team with the 2016 Olympics. Like, I know that they have gotten questions like, are you out for revenge or whatever? And it's just like, 
and anything that happened pre our our unfortunately previous president, you know, like anything pre that uh, the twenty sixteen election, I'm like that's fake. It didn't happen. I don't remember it. <laughs> like, we we have lived through an entire like eon of years here. Right. We've lived another lifetime within yeah a lifetime yeah. I don't know. I just it it is really hard for me to get into the reaction part because I do think that there is that larger philosophical debate, right? Of should you be blowing up the team now to try to win this Olympic tournament? But every single time, I just I think the Olympics, the eighteen player roster, you know, maybe potentially this this plan works of petitioning FIFA slash the IOC to actually use the alternates as full members of the roster, which again, great. Like that is potentially a a good thing, right? But the Olympics and where they fall in the cycle, even with the year delay still, right? It just invites kind of standing pat and saying like, this is the same team. We think about moving on or a different philosophy after the fact. And I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough evidence right now to suggest something for U.S. soccer to say, like, no, we're going to blow it up and and try something completely different for the Olympics. I think there's two things here that come to mind immediately. First is you're right. The development cycle has always been about leading into the next World Cup. And the Olympics has kind of been like an extension of like World Cup season just because of the timing of the calendar. Other thing is... Whenever stuff like this happens, people always speculate on internal politics, um, not just between Vlatko and the players, but between U.S. soccer and Vlatko himself. Now, he said he has 100% authority over anything. Um, and if anybody is going to put his head down and maybe avoid politics and focus on like, well, if I perform, I perform. And if I don't, then I don't. It could probably be Vlatko. But at the same time, I wonder... People are like, well, there must have been pressure from U.S. And, like, we can't know. And I really don't think that there actually was some kind of, like, Vlaco, you have to take these players because we have to win an Olympic gold medal because our bank account depends on it. But but I, I, I think, you know, it's not a non-factor. But, but, but the point being, like, I think my read of it would be that maybe Vlaco feels a certain sense of security here in that he might be willing to fall down. I don't know. It's contraindicated by like the roster itself, right? We talked about how it was conservative and he's bringing players that maybe he doesn't have to worry about as much emotionally because it's his first time or whatever. This is kind of zigzaggy, but I think what I'm getting at is that like with the Olympics, I actually don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's too much. I like, I like tried to go too deep inside with like the inception layers and then I just got caught in the bottom layer. Yeah. Where your top is just spinning endlessly. Yeah. That's kind of yeah, how exactly. I feel like after a full extra year of Olympic roster debate. I don't know. And I just think it's gonna be really interesting too to watch the turnover, right? That that is gonna happen. Some of it is gonna happen naturally and some of it is not going to happen naturally, I think. But part of that is, maybe this is the question that you're getting at, is does the Olympic tournament allow Vlako Andonovsky to come in and truly implement what he came in intending to do in this job? Because you have 
all of the good, like, intellectual stuff of, like, we want to play in a way that is creating the trends in women's soccer. And I don't know if we have seen that necessarily out of this team, right? Like, there have certainly been, again, some good, comfortable wins. Part of it has been a pandemic. I think part of it has also been very internally faced because of that pandemic where they're going through and they're saying, like, okay, we're going to create this kind of internal guidance of, like, what is a number six? What is a number eight? What is a number 10? Like, what do what do we want out of these positions? Are we coaching people throughout every single level, right, to ensure that as they come up through the youth national team, they are being coached in a way that aligns with what they would eventually get on the senior national team? And all of this is good stuff in theory. But at the same time, I think there is inherently that tension of the intellectual practice of being a coach the pressure of winning, and then just the format of the cycle in women's soccer and what that actually allows you to do. Yeah, I think I was ultimately wondering how comfortable he feels in the job, knowing that so far he has a pretty sterling record. And you can see that the team like has this potential to be an absolute world beater. And no matter what, they're going to perform pretty well at the Olympics even if they, you know, everything goes wrong with Tobin's recovery and Julie Ertz is not ready, um, even if they had 16 players, like, they would, I'm not going to say they're going to win, but they would put on a pretty good fight. So I'm just wondering, to that extent, how comfortable does he feel knowing, okay, even if we don't get gold, like, the people in charge, particularly with someone like Kate Markgraf over him, can see what I'm doing here. And they can see that 2023, which may be the bigger prize, is 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 worth keeping me around for to invest in me and to help me invest in this team. Right. I just wonder. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I don't know. And I think, I mean, I would I would like to think so, but I also think that even when Vlaco got hired, a lot of people were really hopeful that he would be the ultimate candidate because there is kind of that attention to detail, but also kind of, I think there was the hope that, okay, NWSL is going to play a bigger role, right? And again, like, I think that there maybe is a debate for some players over another, you know, and I think, again, NWSL form is not the only thing, but is there kind of this cohesive ecosystem (laughs) at all, at club and country? Like, can these things truly exist? And if someone like Flacco comes in, is that a better shot, right? And with having someone like Kate Markgraf who could own the entire program from the top down and put people in, and you have like Laura Harvey coming in to the national team system as well, right? Again, someone who comes from that NWSL system who we've also seen play a role in kind of Trinity Rodman moving into the NWSL, right? Using that as a development tool for a player who could potentially be really in the mix for a 2023 spot, right? Like, These are the bigger philosophy questions that are at play for the next cycle that I just think we're never truly up for grabs at this point. 
yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the the two big like should soul form count player questions i think on the alternate list are casey kruger and lynn williams on casey he said you know physically during covid she wasn't in the best physical shape that's why she didn't get invited to camp um and as well as her her form but he said he knows her potential and how good she could be she knows the system right that there's that emphasis on systems again she's experienced um so so you can see kind of where he's balancing out some of his factors here where if he wants to pick an alternate who's going to be a really safe choice like you pointed out in the article casey kruger's it um you can insert her into this team and there's no on-ramp here. She's just in, theoretically. The other one being Lynn. He straight up said, um, A, we've given Lynn good opportunity to showcase her qualities. So the known quantities thing, right? We just keep coming to the known quantities thing. And then he literally, he said out loud, hopefully in the near future or World Cup 2023, she'll be a regular yeah. in this pool. So he clearly wants Lynn in this system. But... Like you said, all the factors, health, fitness, performance, experience, durability, versatility. He's having to hold all these things together to get like a, a complete picture of a player, not just on their own, but within the system that he's really trying to get the players to buy into. Yeah. And this is why, again, I, I think I have found the entire exercise of trying to not necessarily anticipate because I think the anticipation part has actually been pretty straightforward this entire time, right? I don't think, again, we were expecting surprises. We didn't really get surprises. I think Christy Mewis was like a pleasant surprise, but also like she was certain, it was just like a matter of it. Does she, did she do enough to cross the finish line, right? right? Like that's not a surprise because she's in the mix. It's just a matter of like, does she get kind of essentially that final spot? Right. So it's not like the first time when he called her back into camp after like what, right. four or five years yeah, of absence. <laughs> that's a surprise. And we were like, Witch Mewis? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I don't know. And and now I think the question becomes of do things you know, now now we actually get to look at these two send off games and, and start thinking about, okay. We're pretty sure probably we know what the starting 11 is going to be. That that has been fairly consistent. Assuming that you have a healthy Julie Arts, you would assume that Julie Arts is going to get slotted in. But in the meantime, right, you can still probably get Haran, Lavelle, Mewis, Tall Mewis starting, right? Like, <laughs> there's not really a question of, like, Haran will slot in at the six in a starting lineup right now until you get Arts back. Right, I don't yeah. think that's a huge question in terms of the actual send-off series or even potentially the Olympic Games. And then I think for starting lineup, my assumption is it's going to be Rapino, Morgan, Press. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's just I, now Rapino now it's a matter of can they start actually finishing? Can they get the chem like if if yeah. now that this switch is flipped is flipped for you go from roster selection process to we are now the team. We are the team. Does that make a difference in these two games? Immediately. And that's going to be an interesting one to watch. True. I Look, I've spoken many, many times. I'm so fascinated by player psychology because it's so far from the realm of like 
normies like you and me. It has to we're be tired after <laughs> right. <laughs> like we're suffering from writing for <laughs> right. Yeah. But to stay on that knife's edge of performance day in and day out for so long, especially in the tournament atmosphere, trying to manage like peaking at the right time and giving yourself mentally enough time to recover that I cannot fathom doing that. I went to law school and it burnt me out. Um, and that was just like using my brain, not using my brain and my body. Um, and I just cannot fathom the intense pressure of living with like the whole roster thing. Like, Okay, we saw, for example, uh, Gotham FC posted a video today of Kaylin Sheridan getting her call from Bev Priestman that she's on the roster. And I would say, you know, any player is not going to claim I'm a lock. Becky Sauerbrunn herself was yeah. like, I never assume I'm on a roster. Christine Sinclair has said, like, it's been reported, like, every single email she always sends to the coach is like, if selected, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, but Kaylin Sheridan was a lock for this roster. But even she was like, she started crying and the relief, you could see it. And she was just antsy, like, tell me, tell me, tell me, did I make the roster or not? Even though surely she knew when she was getting the call. And so I can't imagine like having to balance that energy in your life with like performing for your club and continuing to perform for your coach, knowing you may not make it in the end. That's so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, there is, I mean, I just, so I also, I spoke to uh, both Christy and Sam Mewis earlier this week for a story about their beer that is dropping with Harpoon. And I, when I was saying like, you know, I really do just want to focus on the beer, A, because this is like a story that was designed for me, but like B, I also, I feel very cognizant of the fact that like probably Christy knew by then, but also like this is probably the most stressful week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of her life that has ever happened <laughs> like i was like i just right. personally don't want to contribute to that by being like how would you feel if you got like that to me does not feel like a very productive conversation but also i just cannot mentally wrap my head around the pressure of waiting to get that call call of have i done enough have i you know did i have the performance i needs to do but not just in like games but also in the nwsl and in can't like all of these things that also some of them are going to be out of your control entirely um two things one the added dynamic in particular to your situation with the mui of like kind of sam being you know, the more highly ranked soccer player and the two of them, however they've done it between the two of them internally of balancing, like we're sisters and we love each other, but one of us maybe is going to have a brighter soccer career than the other, you know, that dynamic, like whatever it is, whatever they've done, it seems very healthy from the outside where they've balanced, like we love each other and like we have our own careers and it's not going to affect our dynamic, whatever they've done, everybody should be so lucky to have that kind of dynamic with our family and friends, especially around work and competition, right? I think that's great. The other part of it being, um, I think you brought up an interesting question, which maybe we can do expand on fully in another podcast, which is uh, these players are so often asked about, well, how do you feel about making or not making the roster? And it's some of my least favorite questions. Like God knows I've asked the question before as well, because you have to get the quote. Like you have to Yeah, sometimes out. you have to ask the dumb question. In order like the to obvious get, question. yeah, yeah. 
But every time I feel it come out of my mouth, knowing like I need to get this player's reaction, I'm also like, what are what are they supposed to say? Like, you know, I I hate Vlako Ananovsky, <laughs> and I hope he steps on a fork at a random time of day every day for the rest of his life. I just hope he steps on Legos every single night for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope he like farts during a speech on national television or something like that. Just. You know, what What are they supposed to say if they're not psyched? Or if they are, it's just, you know, sometimes they might be, the most candid a player might be is like, oh, yeah, I was really relieved. It's been a, a lot of pressure. But, you know, a lot of them just kind of hold as close to their chest as they're completely entitled to do. They're not, they don't have to air all of their deepest, like, insecurities and everything. But it does mean, like, sometimes it feels like a question they I, I'm sure they're sick of being asked and they would love to just be asked about like beer. Yeah. Well, it's just like even in the lead up to 2019 World Cup, I went to I think pretty much every single game that I more like once I started at the Athletic, I traveled to every single U.S. national team game that happened before the 2019 World Cup. And I was generally one of the few people <laughs> that was at every single game. I think I might have been the only reporter who was actually kind of consistently going from market to market. And I watched Carly Lloyd get the exact same question, sometimes even multiple times in a mix zone. And I just kind of thought like, I mean, like, yes, it's part of the job, but also I wouldn't enjoy it. I would not enjoy it. She was so relieved that one time you asked her about Ships Creek. (laughs) She was so relieved. Like she cracked a smile. Yeah. Whereas before that, she had on her serious Carly professional face. But then you asked her about, like, some normal human thing, and she was like, oh. Yeah. And I think all of them kind of, to various degrees, they kind of like that. Yeah. I think it is, like, a delicate line, but also a lot of the times, mixed zones are not really ever going to be, like, a wildly... I mean, like, Rapino is, of course, in her own category of... Right. <laughs> this, this is a little bit inside baseball. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So to circle back around, let's actually go on a little Canada detour, just because they also announced their roster. You sat in on that that conference call. What were what were your takeaways from Bev Priestman, and how many times did she say the word brave? Did you count? I want to say I I guarantee she said it twice, but I, she probably said it at least three or four times. And she said, "Change the color of the metal," <laughs> which actually had me doing like the little eyes to the side emoji. Because I think that's a Herdman phrase. That is a, Herdman a John phrase. Herdman phrase. One thousand percent. You know, obviously she's she's like worked with John Herdman, but this team has to break free of John Herdman's era and his legacy. They have to. He was what they needed at the time, coming off of Carolina Marache and the devastation of twenty eleven. It was kinda like with when Pia came on board after all the stuff with Hope Solo and um, the, the comments, uh, that she made and Pia, like, sang her song in the locker room. It was like, times they are changing. Emotionally, I really think he was what they needed. They seemed to, like, pull themselves together after that. But the nature of the game and any team is you have to be able to move on. You have to be able to grow. So I am a little bit concerned about that emotional vibe where, you know, use the Herdman line and some of the comments that she made, we've joked about like a vibes only roster. <laughs> like, but some of it, some of what she talked about felt like she was kind of going on vibes. Although, to be fair, 
you know, Flacco talked about it too, about things like experience. You know, that's a vibe. Yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily fair to be like, oh, Bev Priestman, vibes only. Vlaco talks about experience. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. But there were some eyebrow raising decisions like, okay, you're bringing Adriana Leone. You're not bringing Jordan Heidema. I Meg, I know you maybe don't have an opinion on this because <laughs> you're not as obsessed with Canada <laughs> as I am. But like Jordan Heidema being an, an alternate to me was one of the things that really stood out on yeah, yeah, on yeah. that roster decision the rest of it i actually don't think there were really a ton of surprises um there's a lot of young players in here who have clearly been earmarked for long-term development by bev priestman and the federation like riviere grosso you know deanne rose um michelle prince is not that young anymore but vn bev priestman flat out said was like if we play vn in the nine we'll probably put our best foot forward so thanks for that little tactical preview (laughs) but you know um and then she shouted out the depth of their goalkeeping pool which is probably one of their strongest areas because not only do they have LeBay and sheridan but you've got aaron mcleod in your alternate list which i think is the right call Um, and, uh, she shouted out Riley Foster and she shouted out Sabrina D'Angelo, who for a while I thought was really shaping up. I really thought by now the Canadian goalkeeper one and two would be Sheridan and Mm D'Angelo. I really thought it would. And Sheridan's clearly in there. And like we said, she was pretty much a lock for this roster. I think it would have been shocking if it had been LeBay and McLeod. Yeah. With apologies to Aaron McLeod. No, I feel like I did not have any questions about Sheridan. I mean, I personally also think Sheridan should be their starting. Like, Sheridan... Me too. To me is, how is she not an uh, an immediate lock for number one goal? Like, any other country in the world, and I think including the United States, would look at Kaylin Sheridan and be like, that's your number one. That's your number one. Like, that is your number one. (laughs) Um, Yeah. She would she would definitely even be in contention for one or two spot for the the United States. So they're solid there. Um, I I just feel like some of the stuff that she said I I only had sorry I should have taken notes on Bev as well. But you really surprised me with this little detour <laughs> into Canada. I I really thought we would just sit here like holding our heads in our hands like trying to unravel Vladko's mind. Apparently, so. He, um, my time has been a bit limited lately, but I think he did go on another podcast, maybe Grant Walls, where he really went in depth on his roster selection process and how he goes through it. In this one, he kind of gave us a little thing where he's like, I look at the team first, then I do it line by line, then I look at individuals, the real top-down approach, which is very fascinating to me. And so I thought we would be spending our whole time <laughs> trying to like reverse incept how he did it we kind of did we did but i think a bit i mean again i also just think that the writing has been on you know we were we were really only looking at maybe two or three spots and those were really only up for grabs at least one of them was really only up for grabs because tobin heath was a question mark it's the same with canada maybe there were a couple more up for grabs but like if you've been watching especially from about olympic qualification until now um with the big old covid gap in there uh, you can you could kind of see the writing on the wall, like who they are preparing to take over um, once the Sinclair era is over, which is very painful to say. And it's already begun. Sophie Schmidt is an alternate on this team. 
She's been a centerpiece for this team for a really long time. In fact, former teammate Kaylin Kyle was reacting with strong disbelief mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, and that's another thing where it's like, yeah, I guess I could kind of see that that was in motion, but it's still a shock because I, th- you know, I think it's almost the equivalent of like if they had left Carly Lloyd off the U.S. roster, not in terms of tactical ability, but just in terms of like the emotional impact. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's kind of the the Heather O'Reilly in twenty sixteen. Yeah, like that's that's kind a of better comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so big big morning. We survived watching Good Morning America. We've had a lot of coffee. Um, I'm just trying to think of like now we've got kind of this waiting game right until the send off games. Um, there are midweek NWL games. We've got like a full. <laughs> five games on Saturday, right? And so now we're kind of in this like week-long limbo of people are with their clubs. I think there's going to be a lot of discussion. I mean, I I think Midge Purse is going to be like an active discussion for a very long time. Midge Purse also, I think a lot of people immediately made that leap of is she about to have kind of the same summer Crystal Dunhead in 2015, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... I think that's a very natural place to to immediately go. But I think for someone like Midge Purse, right, like now the question becomes, yeah, again, I, I was very sure that Midge Purse was in a pretty good spot on this team. But I also think, you know, Heather O'Reilly brought it up on this podcast of like she's being asked to do a lot of things, right? And so... I think the mission for Crystal Dunn when they when they changed Crystal Dunn's position on the national team, the challenge was now you become the number one player at this position, right? So not only do you have to excel <laughs> in the midfield, in the club level, but if you want to make this team, you have to become the best outside back on the team, which she then did. And so... Part of it, I think, with Mitch Purse is that did she have enough time in terms of that conversion, right? Like, the Crystal Dunn project on that, I think, lasted a little bit longer. But also because, I mean, it really didn't pay off until 2019 in terms of, like, actual international tournaments. So there, there was some time there to get real international games in that position. But again, also that kind of you know, I thought that that experiment of putting Midge Person against Jamaica and one half at forward and one half at outside back was very specific. But then also now, does that experiment also even undermine the ask that's being made? And so now, potentially, does Midge Purse have a chance of going back to Gotham, proving that she can be an elite scorer, no matter the competition, and forcing U.S. soccer's hand to say, look at most of your forward line. They are not going to be in the mix for 2023, and you are not going to leave me behind, and you are going to put me in the position that I'm strongest at. Right. Look at the players who scored goals during the summer series, among them Midge Purse and Lynn Williams. If you're talking about having trouble scoring, and then you look at the scorers... Maybe there's a conversation there to be had. If this roster is 22, as Blacko 
you know, said that mentioned that they were because he said U.S. soccer has been talking to Sweden and the Netherlands. Serena Wiegmann very publicly was like, we need to bring, I want it to be 22. Mm-hmm. And so Vlaco was like, yeah, if it's 22, that's great for me too. I think all the coaches would be like, 22, great. Um, then I don't know if he brings Mitch Purse or not. Looking at the alternates, he he made alternates with safety in mind. But if he just has 22 players, that's only one off from a World Cup roster. Maybe Midge is there, or is she player 23? Yeah. I mean, also, I, it's impossible for us to know yeah. that. But, I mean, that is the question, because if you are... I don't think you can definitively plan for those four alternates to become... No. Right? You have to and, operate and, on the assumption you have 18. Exactly. And also... And to be fair to Mitch Person, I think she would understand this too. She is not going to be a starter in the Olympic tournament, right? Like you are looking at depth pieces and very specific players to use in very specific roles. So in terms of that back line, Kelly O'Hare is kind of like the number one questionable injury concern, right? So that would potentially mean, or, you know, like if you need to necessarily move like Emily Sonnet into the sixth role, right? Again, I just think you're looking for a pure defender at this point. And so the versatility we thought was going to be a real asset for Midge Purse. But then also when you think about what your potential needs are in a tournament and what you could potentially need to cover for, that's where I think the question of does versatility help or does kind of that safety. And again, right. we've, we've heard a lot about the system and known quantities and all of that kind of like all of these things kind of work into this mix and I think that Midge Purse is obviously a player that a lot of people want to see succeed. And I think the two of us are very much in that camp of wanting to see her succeed. But I think also the question becomes is, is the system as it is set up right now within the U.S. national team a thing where she can walk in and get asked those questions and like asked to do all of these things? Is that a way that she's being set up for success? I think at this point, if I'm Midge Purse, I'm not. She's much smarter than me <laughs> um, and much more like determined and like savvy. I turn all my focus to 2023. I, uh, there's been a lot of chatter that this 2023 World Cup roster, Midge Purse has a great shot at being on it. There's no Megan Rapinoe for 2023, likely, right? There's no Carly Lloyd for 2023. We'll see you on Alex Morgan. Um, she could still be there, but who knows? I think, you know, two years from now, that could, who knows what could happen. I mean, this entire forward line from this roster could Mm -hmm. potentially not be in the 2023 World Cup. We don't, I mean, again, we do not have any inside information. This is just like potentially all five forwards from this line are certainly question marks. Right. Kristen Press is what, 31? Yeah. I mean, Press, I Um, think, feels, Press, Morgan... Heath is kind of... Uh, that feels edge casey yeah. where it's like, yeah, I could easily see them being in World Cup because like, by then they'll be 30 in the three, 33, 34 range. It's like, once again, we talked about the fitness base of this team where it's like, they're old. It's like, yeah, but are they old? Actually old? Yeah. Or like, because in, in the United States, kind of like that fitness base does seem to shave a few years off of where you actually are. So, but yeah, there is going to be space opening up 
Um, once Megan Rapino is gone, I think that opens a huge hole for Kristen Press to go where she functions best. Yes. And as we've talked about with Midge, she has the versatility to switch across all the lines. Obviously, she's been playing on the right, but she has the ability to play the nine um, as well. And then we're talking about eventually Sophia Smith coming in there because she plays on the right side. And then what happens to Lynn, who also plays on the right? So we're talking about it's Katarina gonna be, Macario, who could potentially, yep. you know, she has traditionally been listed in the midfielders for the national team, but has been starting at the number nine for Lyon, right? right. So, right. so there's a lot of really exciting questions to come for 2023, assuming we get that far and we are not in the climate wars fighting <laughs> over water. Yes. All right. Well, on that note. Uh, <laughs> I think we have, I think we have hit many, many things about this roster for 18, 18 names. I feel like we have done a lot of talking about it. I'm sure we will continue to do a lot of talking about it, but I think both of us, um, deserve some more coffee and a little bit of And nap. now there's an NWSL game <laughs> at 2 PM on a Wednesday. Just to, you know, just to keep things, the day interesting. We don't want to, we don't want to slow down. No, absolutely not. I'm going to go chug some Diet Coke. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Uh, Steph, thank you for, for being on the show once again and for being the de facto processor of roster emotions on full time with Meglin Ham. I'm, I'm great at processing emotions. <laughs> I'm great at it. For someone who hates emotions so much, I'm so great at processing them. All right. As always, thank you to Steph. We have spent a lot of time talking to each other about this roster, um, not just at The Athletic, but even before. And we now get to enter a new phase of our life. All right. As always, the home for the show is at fulltimepod.com, where you can find links to all of the major podcast platforms. And if you're enjoying the show, as always, your reminder that ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts do make a difference. One more call, subscribe to The Athletic, and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. I will tell you right now, I have a great story in the works with the Mua sisters and their new new beer with Harpoon Brewery here in Boston. I'm actually going to the brewery for the story. This is the dream assignment. I don't think you're going to want to miss this one. All right. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. <laughs>